down pat of a hobbit yeah yeah mm. but not the ear rape intro <laughs> well it, the, the, it doesn't say well as you know it doesn't sound like that on the podcast which you can get from uh, anchor 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 yeah anchor yeah. dot Amazon. fm forward slash 14 words <coughs> oh well that's the important thing as long as it sounds good in the final in the broadcast yeah. then that's it um there was something i meant to mention last week but i forgot about it alan watt is dead not to be confused with alan watts who's also dead but alan watt is his more moribund morbid uh, brother <laughs> as you were bit of a philosopher actually more he's a session musician and i don't know what bands he's uh, done music for uh, but his music is out there on, on the YouTubes. He used to do a song every Christmas. And if you're into 14 uh, stuff, which I'm assuming you are as you're listening to this, you want to check out uh, the stuff he's done. He's got a website, which is well, being what you maintained were saying, I'd suggest you go there right now, but don't. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's quite well, you don't have, in it. You, you don't have to go there right now. Well, here's the thing. He'd he done some DVDs. He'd done some books. One of the, the first one he did was about the androgyne agenda, which, seeing as it was written in 20, 25 years ago, was ahead of its time. Um, it's just the podcast. He did a podcast for about 20 years, and it's two hours of him talking like this in a very moribund voice. Nothing's ever going to get any better. You can't win. This is must be. You're never going to win. It's all, we're all doomed. Doomed. I were doomed. We're Please do- donate me doomed. some money. Is it like uh, Dad's doomed. Army, is it? Well, he, yeah, if you imagine like a uh, a completely flat monotone, no expression to his voice, which is a shame because there's so much expression in his music. And I'm not taking the piss out of Alan Watt here. Well, actually, yeah, I am a bit. But he's dead. He died the March the 4th this year. So uh, rest in peace, Alan Watt. And I hope Hamish has gone to a good home. He's fucking dead, doggy, he can't. Then, is he? Yeah, yeah. I asked him what Hamish was one, uh, once I sent an email. It's like, apparently it's Scots Gaelic for home. <clears throat> oh, Interdimensional Lizard says uh, Denning Poles mentioned uh, cutting through the Matrix and what? Denning Yeah, the, um, I was going to say the most recent Denning Pole was quite spiritual. Quite interesting, a bit of chaos magic in there as well. Might be, might be worth a listen of it. Oh, I. Yeah, 
He's had some. He seems to have. Uh, he seems to have um, kind of um, uh, uh, shit the bed for want of a better, better word. <laughs> which mean, which means now he has to get more and more <laughs> esoteric guests. Oh, I see. I see. Mm. Well, um, Alex Jones featured Dunham Watt at some point because uh, he was into this thing called geopolitics, whatever that is. And um, what's his name? Alex Jones was isn't also all politics. Geopolitics. Yeah, I mean, what politics isn't concerned with geography? Is it one of those redundant terms like ethno-nationalism? Yeah, probably. Just seeing if there's the because in the fourteen times you usually get the necrologue where they tell you who's died yeah um hopefully Watson alan Watts got mention of it as well because uh you know he was a good man and uh he, he had a lot of knowledge about the esoteric as well as uh the more mundane things as well he must he must have died before they had a chance to put it in the magazine hopefully <laughs> they'll, hopefully they'll mention him next fourth of march next issue Yeah, one of his friends uh, did a, a podcast about it. Um, oh, that was it. It was one of his friends did the, the last cutting through the Matrix show, and he says, sorry, this isn't Alan's voice. I'm his friend, uh, and he's passed away. Rest in peace. Not rest in peace. Rest in peace. Yeah, apparently he's there's a new book about Evola out. Uh, the the philosopher the philosopher and magician in the war nineteen forty three to nineteen forty five someone's done a book about him. Oh, get the f nats a uh, Greek statue and some uh, and some lube if there's a new Evola out. <laughs> new thing bad, old thing good. Rev turn. Yeah. <laughs> Rev turn. Rev surf turn. The surf the Kaliuga dude. Kaliuga dude. Ride the mammoth. Cowabunga. <laughs> right, so are we ready to talk talk Titanic? Are we? Titanic. Ian, are you ready? You oh, ready I've got yeah. a question for you, Ian, before we start. Do you know what the boat what the boat in the Titanic was called? <laughs> um, um no, tell me what it was called. <laughs> Oh, is it a trick question? Is it the Olympic? Oh, isn't it not? Isn't it? Yeah, isn't it, is, it, is it a boat or a ship? Didn't someone tell us that the difference between a boat and a ship is passengers? Yes, Top Cat told me boats for people, ships for cargo. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's, That's what right, it is a boat yeah. then. What's steamers yes. for? What's a steamer? And what's a hovercraft? Yeah. Or what if you've anyway, got a ferry it. that transports cargo and people? Hmm. Anyway, okay, let's do let's do this. Yeah, twas yeah. an um, yeah twas an ice cold April night. <laughs> the world's biggest passenger ship was making good speed as it headed to New York through the North Atlantic. Though visibility it's was poor, yeah? it's a boat. Ice yelled the lookout. Ice ahead. Iceberg right under the bows. The first officer ran amidships, and the captain sprang to the engine telegraph. At this time, the lever was turned as the ship was turned to starboard. In five seconds, the bow began to lift, and ahead, on an earlier hand, there could be seen through the fog a field of ice which arose to an incline to a hundred feet high in her track. 
the music in the theatre ceased, and among the babble of shouts and cries, the deafening noise of steel scraping and crashing over ice. The, the ship was doomed and started to sink rapidly. Though there were not enough lifeboats for all the passengers on the ship, and many lives were lost that night. So, there you are. What ship was that? Anyone? Olympic. The Friendship. Olympic. No, it's a good answer. It's a good answer, but it's not the right answer. Any anyone else? No. Uh, oh, it's it a Titanic. Is, is this a trick question? Is, is this a trick question? You're no, reading no. That opening passage from that book. What that bloke wrote. Yeah, I'm reading that from the book. It's not. It's not the Tim. It's not the Titanic or the Olympic. It's a. Uh, it's a fictional ship. Is it called the Titan? The Titan. Yeah, I the Titan. That's right. So I do. Let's have a look at the quick story. We'll look at the story of the Titan and its relevance to the bigger picture. So we'll just run through this first. So, in 1861, nautical author Morgan Robertson was born. He spent his early life at sea, firstly as a cabin boy, then as first mate. He had a short attention span and gave up his job as a sailor and worked as a diamond seller in New York. This bored him shitless, so he quit that job too. And word got out that he was a quitter, so no one would give him a job. So he found himself unemployed. So this is the, this is the beginning of the story. Yeah. So Morgan Robertson was unemployed. Whilst waiting for his job seeker's allowance to come through, he drew upon his experiences at sea and started to write fictional books about nautical life. Let's, uh, let's go to the first picture. We'll have a look at uh, Morgan Robinson. Let's have a quick uh, look at him. Go to the next one. Yes, I'll just do that. Looks a so, bit like Jim Robinson from from Neighbours to me. There he is. Yes. Slaphead. So. Good head of hair. Hmm. So the books he wrote <clears throat> had titles such as Where Angels Fear to Tread, Shipmates, Masters of Men, Sinful Peck, Land Ahoy, Down to the Sea, do you say Three Lords Peck? and the Golden what, is he Rule. A bit of a, is he a bit yeah. of a Jilly Cooper then, is he? Yeah, well, sailor, wasn't he? So <laughs> they get lonely at sea. Three Lords and the Golden Rule, Over the Border and the Grain Ship. So those were books he wrote and they were generally shit and they didn't, they didn't, they weren't very good. Didn't really make uh, him much money. But he did write a book called Futility, which has gained attention over the years. And we're going to look at that now. Let's just go to the next picture and we'll look at the, the front cover of the book. Ooh. Utility, and then we'll. That okay. looks familiar. Yeah, the story of futility follows the journey of an enormous British passenger liner called the SS Titan, which is which was deemed unsinkable and carried insufficient lifeboats. Whilst on a voyage in the month of April, the Titan hit an iceberg and sank in the North Atlantic, causing a great loss of life. So let's go uh, to the next picture. We'll see an illustration from the book. And basically, that's the story he wrote. So if you were to read that, you thought, you'd think that um, he'd heard about the Titanic disaster, stole the idea for himself, wrote the story, cashed in. Nothing original. They're practically the same. So even the names of the ships are almost identical. So really, <laughs> mm. so he should stop stealing ideas and think of something original yeah. himself, shouldn't he? So. Definitely. Mm. So, so that's uh, an illustration of the um, incident there. Uh, but that shit however, like it's all right. Because <laughs> yeah. it's just sitting on the iceberg. It's safe. Ooh. So the interesting thing about this book, though, was it was published in 1898, 14 years before the Titanic disaster. So 
wasn't the Titanic wasn't even a twinkle in the milkman's eye at that dun, stage. Dun. Did Morgan predict the Titanic disaster using psychic powers, or was it merely a coincidence? So there you go. See, so that's uh, an interesting thing there. So what we'll do, I think, we'll look at the actual actual Titanic disaster. Then we can pick, compare Morgan's fictional account, and we can decide from ourselves whether it was a premonition. So. Any questions at this stage? Okay, then. So we're all familiar with the Titanic incident, whether it be from Discovery Channel documentaries or from the James Cameron film. I've not seen that film myself, but uh, I was told it was shit, so I didn't bother. But uh, basically, the story. Did you, ship did, goes you to know sea. They, um, ship. did you know they mm. cocked up in that? Because mm. they, they built all the model for the Titanic, because it's like mm. a. Was it like a one-tenth model or something? It's like massive, isn't it, this model? <laughs> so they built this model, but then they actually figured out that they'd actually built it pointing the wrong way. <laughs> Cause... Yeah. So then they had to digitally uh, mirror image it. Yes, it was, uh, there was a few uh, things made up in that film. But as I said, I've not seen it. It's uh, not the sort of thing I'd sit through. So three hours it is. Long time to sit through a film. So anyway, basically the story. Ship goes to sea. Ship hits iceberg. Ship sinks. People die. There you go. That's basically the story in a nutshell. But let's uh, look at a few of the facts. Let's go into the next picture and we'll look at a, an actual photo of the Titanic in all its glory. There the real blows. ship. And she blows, leaving Titanic, the Titanic leaving Southampton on the maiden voyage. <clears throat> so basically, the Titanic was the product of intense competition among rival shipping lines in the first half of the 20th century. In particular, the White Star Line found itself in a battle for steamship supremacy with Cunard, who owned two standout ships that ranked among the most sophisticated and luxurious at the time. Cunard's Mauritania ship began service in 1907 and quickly set a speed record for the fastest average speed during a transatlantic crossing, um, a title that it held for 22 years. Cunard's other ship um, was a premier ship called the Lusitania. That launched in 1907. It was lauded for its spectacular interiors. Unfortunately, though, this ship met its, uh, met its end on the well, 7th of May, 1915. Wasn't the Lusitania supposed to have been carrying um, Tutankhamun's cousin, uh, a mummy? Um, that was Titanic. But maybe that one as well. But that one sank. They both sank in in World War One. What we'll do next? Let's have a look at the picture of the two the two Cunard. Uh, when the Luster, I call it Lustertania because it's got an S in it. Um, was that was that the premise for America joining World War One? It was. Yes, that was the actual incident. Um, that um, a U boat fired a torpedo at the, the ship and sunk it, and yeah, that was Allegedly. what prompted. Yeah, the Yanks to go into World War One. Let's have a look at the next picture. We'll look at those two boats uh, side by side, the Cunard liners, and this is what White Star had to compete with. So there you go. So that's the the Cunard ships, the two of them there. Due to Cunard's dominance of the transatlantic market, White Star, White Star, Star had to take some action to compete. J. Bruce Ismay, chief executive of White Star, commissioned the construction of three identical huge ships at the Harland and Wolfe Shipbuilding Company in Belfast. The ships were to be referred to as the Olympic class of liners. Each ship would measure 882 feet in length and 92.5 feet How at their broadest width. Is that? <laughs> yeah. Quite, quite how, a few. How can it you was... done your research properly, Ian, if you don't know what it is in football pitches? Yeah. Well, it's bigger than two football pitches. <laughs> was, um, was Esme was um, of the tribe, wasn't he? Mm, a Mason. 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Mason. Yeah, they were they were all Masons. So yeah, just, uh, like, yeah. separate handshakes. So the um anyway the Olympic class of liners they would be the largest ships of their time. So this what uh, White Star had to do there. So yeah. Um anyway, so the three ships um that they were going to build would be were to be named the Olympic, the Titanic, and the Gigantic. And if we go on to the next picture, we can look at the uh, yeah, the three ships together in their design phase. I'll go on to the next picture there. That... There we go. So you got the Olympic is, at the top, um... Titanic in, in the middle. So you got the RMS. So what does Titanic. RMS stand for? Royal, Royal, Royal Mail ship. Royal Mail ship. I think it's the Royal Mail. So then that's um, the anyway, so ship, Titanic then is it? Or His Majesty? Uh, yeah. Well, King the thing King is, George at the time was it? <laughs> The three ships are identical, so you can see the Olympic, the Titanic, and the bottom one, the mm. Gigantic. If you look at the name of it, it's actually changed the name mm. to the Britannic, because um, Gigantic's a bit of a boast, isn't it? If you just say if you say you're gigantic, something's gigantic, then they have arrogance in that. Um, White Star learned their lesson from being arrogant, so they changed the name from the Gigantic to the bit Britannic. Like naming it's a battleship HMS Invincible. Yeah, so. So yeah, um, the Gigantic, later referred to as the Britannic, never saw commercial service. The ship was completed just before World War One, so the government obtained it for use as a hospital ship in the war effort. November the twenty first, nineteen sixteen. That's what HMHS stands for. It stands for His slash Her Majesty's Hospital Ship. Oh, hospital! And you can see it there. It's all yeah. decked out in, the, in like a hospital as well, with the uh, yeah with crosses they, on. They had to be, didn't they? The the, the mm. rules were you had to be marked as a hospital ship if you wanted to be um, mm. exempt from being torpedoed. That's right. So um, between everyone and the Germans, we agreed that if you're a hospital ship. Um, you weren't to be torpedoed. So on the 21st of November 1916, the Germans torpedoed the Britannic and um, and uh, and um, there were 1,065 people on board, of which 1,035 survived. So the ship sank. I and the uh, Germans were as pure as the driven snow would never do such an unconscionable act. <laughs> yes. But anyway, so... Only 30 people died on that disaster, and they died because they were prematurely launched in a lifeboat and the ship when the ship was still moving. Um, the lifeboat was sucked into the spinning propellers, so as the oh. ship sank, the propellers were still spinning, and they mangled up the passengers to death, making them blood and guts everywhere. Uh -huh. um, yeah, so... Whoops. Basically, there. Yeah, so that's um, the story of the Britannic. It was, it was the largest... Yeah, it was a sort of a pink, a pink goo came out of the propeller. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was the largest ship that was lost in the First World War. So there you go. Anyway, okay then. So construction of the Olympics started on December 1908, and work started on the Titanic in March 1909. The two ships were spilled side by side. Let's go to the next picture, and we can see an actual picture of the two uh, ships in the. Um, in the docks together being built. Work on the gigantic began a bit later in 1911. So there we go. There's the two ships side by side. Not much difference because they were exactly the same. So I don't know which one's which, but 
I'm sure we can see something that will tell us. Anyway, okay. So where the Cunard ships had an emphasis on speed, the White Star ships main selling point was luxury and their interiors were fitted out in the fashionable art deco style of the day. The ships accommodated gourmet restaurants, cocktail bars, Parisian cafes, a tennis court, a swimming pool, a modern day health spa, a gay sauna and a state-of-the-art Marconi radio room where operators you... could talk to other ships about weather conditions and such like that. So, I'm taking that to the old definition of the word where you feel happy for going into it. Mm hmm. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's so uh, they're really putting a lot of effort into these boats. Let's have a look at um, let's go to the next picture. We can see some of the, the, the designs for the interior of uh, these ships. So, Ooh, very nice. So, if we go to the, the smoking room, there we go. If we go to the next one, we can see the grand staircase made famous uh, in the James Cameron film. Here we go. Yeah, there you go. Little do they know what's going to happen. Um, let's yeah, go and look at one of the... Did you, did you include that it's picture of Kate Winslet, Ian? Um, which one? Where her tits <laughs> are pressed up against oh, that the car. It is, <laughs> it is such a shame what happened to it, because it, it mm. truly was a beautiful ship and a marvel of its time. That is the dining area. That looks a bit like a weather spoon, eh? can see where they got their idea <laughs> let's go let's go to the next picture we can see the health the health facilities that we're on, hey, him, on, him on the right on looks like he's trying to top himself doesn't he you don't look happy yeah. that yeah. yes they got the full costume swimming costume on there let's have a look at let's go to the next picture let's have a look at the poop deck we can see that the poop deck. we can go oh. to the next picture the poop deck yes <laughs> and there it is and there we've got is the poop deck there? So you can see. Uh, <laughs> that's that, that's in. See the class. cap. There's the captain's log in the middle. There. You can yeah. see. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And that's not that's not actually part of the bit. I just threw that in. So okay then. So but not only John, with the Olympic. But class, John Kelly said he's got the gigantic in his boxers. Yeah. <laughs> ship's mast eh, in his trousers yeah so anyway not only were the olympic class liners going to be the most luxurious ships on the ocean they were also going to be the safest so so uh, so that's a big selling point of these ships they wouldn't sink so yeah that's right so if we look at this uh, picture here i thought i'd get rid of the ships were divided into six yep the poop deck you like the poop deck here <laughs> the ships were divided into 16 watertight compartments each with its own watertight door. This means that if there was a hole in the side of the ship, the watertight doors would be closed. Then the watertight compartments that were breached would fill up, but not flood any other part of the ship, and the ship would stay afloat. So um, the ships could up, have up to five watertight compartments flooded, and it still would not sink. So this, this feature indicated that uh, the ships were unsinkable. But bear that in mind, five if you breached five watertight compartments, um, you wouldn't sink. So just bear that in mind for later. <clears throat> you get nothing so, in this game for five and a bed. Yeah. So, <laughs> so on the 20th of October 1910, the Olympic was launched and was successful 
in carrying out many transatlantic voyages, making the White Star much profit. On the 12th September 1911, the Olympic was heading through this, the Solent, which is near the Isle of Wight in the southern England. Uh, the ship was traveling parallel to the British warship HMS Hawk. The Olympic turned to starboard, and uh, the wide radius of the turn that it, it took took the commander of the Hawk by surprise, and he was unable to make a sufficient avoiding action. The bow of the Hawk, which had been designed to sink ships by ramming them, collided with the Olympic starboard side near the stern. This teared two large holes into the ship's hull. So this is the Olympic having an accident. Let's go to the next picture. Let's look at the damage that the uh, Hawk did to the Olympic. That's fucked it, that wasn't, wasn't it the same captain that was piloting well, the Olympic? When we'll come crashed. on to that, yeah. We'll come on to that and we'll look at the guy's CV before we... Uh, yeah. <laughs> he, he was a bit so, of an, damage that was... Elmore, uh, L. Ron Hubbard, weren't he? Well, Ooh, yes, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't put him in charge of a ship anyway, but... Uh, so oh, the, that's, that's a, the damage. That's a significant amount of damage. It is. So the incident resulted in two of Olympic's watertight compartments to flood and the ship stayed afloat. So... These watertight compartments worked. Um, the Hawk also fucked the uh, ship's propeller shaft as well. Go to the next picture. We can see the uh, hole from another angle. Yeah, because we'll I think I remember reading that the ship had a permanent list to burn. Yes. So, so yeah, there's another picture. And uh, there's a bloke in that picture for to show you the scale of where, as well. Go to the next picture and we'll see the damage that was done to the Hawk after the crash. Nope. Yep. So, so yeah, a right shit mess that was, wasn't it? So, let's have a look at the captain of the Olympic when it crashed. Let's look at the next picture and have a look at the captain. Cool. Yeah, that proper mangled the hawk up. Yeah, Captain Edward Smith. So, there it is, the the fucking idiot. So he'd worked for White Star Line for many years and had a record of incompetence. And he was a pervert as well. So if you go to the next picture, you can see his house in the, this is his house in Crosby, which I've been to. So I did the next picture. Where's we Crosby? can see that. Yeah, actually. It's a uh, Liverpool area. So yeah, that was 54 oh, stupid well, cunt he's, Avenue. He's bound that to is. be no good. He's a scouser. Yeah. So yeah, it's not bad. So anyway, <clears throat> that's the Olympics. So let's move on to the, the main thing, the Titanic. So on the 31st of March, 1912, the Titanic was complete. And on the 10th of April, 1912, it set off on its maiden voyage. Or did it? Ship was 800. Yeah, well, we can look at that later. But <laughs> the ship was 82 feet long, making it the last movable object at the time. So White Star chose the crew of the ship and gave Captain Smith the job of commanding that shift. So, well, you know, he'd done, that so, he'd done the, such a good <laughs> job with the uh, with the Olympic. Yeah. You know, he's bound to get another one, really. Yeah, he fucked that up. So, <clears throat> so White Star must have, um, and when choosing the crew, who can we get to captain the ship? Yeah. Uh, the guy who wrecked the Olympic. So, yeah, good, good choice. Well done. So, so let's start off on the. Uh, See that, that to me that, that to me is mm -hmm. one of the contributing factors to think this is a stitch up. It's like, yeah, you mm. owe us you owe us money, pal, you're gonna die in this accident. Mm. I'll teach you. One thing one thing I love is um there's a video of the of the launch of it starting to go off on YouTube 
and the length of the video just shows you how long the ship was how long it takes for the whole thing to get past the shot it's just it's... you never really guess how big it is and then when you see footage like that and it takes like i think it's like eight seconds for the whole ship to go past the cameras it really mm. does show you how big it was yeah i think i know the clip and that's a, it, they didn't have much that's a, that's a clip of the olympic they didn't have they hardly had any photos or film of the titanic so when you do can, can can nordic and ian sing the titanic song get us in the titanic <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll do we'll do it later we'll finish on that yeah yeah oh dear <laughs> so anyway yeah so when you see pictures and film of the, and i think i know the one you're thinking of nordic that's actually the olympic it's like slow slowly moving past the dock isn't it yeah so yeah because um the olympic was the main thing the titanic if it didn't sink it wouldn't have had much attention it's because the olympic was the first ship so that was the one that was uh you know making the headlines but anyway okay then so the titanic started its journey in southampton it was the first day of the voyage, as usual. Um, Captain Smith wasn't paying much attention to where the ship was going. The Titanic left the dock, the dock moving its huge bulk, but it was too close to other ships. Captain Smith was on B-deck talking to some girls at the time, trying to impress them, and that the ship was like going haywall in the dock. The suction caused by the great ship uh, doing press-ups and that, yeah. so showing them his muscles. <laughs> Suction caused by the great ship was such that it caused a ship called the Oceanic to swing towards it, whilst other ships broke loose of their berth and crashed into the Oceanic. This was another fuck-up by Captain Smith and um, just left someone else to pick the pieces up. So basically the guy was a walking disaster. So well, in the, it was in the picture you put up of the Titanic leaving Southampton, if you look at the tugboat to the side, you can you can see the tugboat being pulled in towards the side of the Titanic. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> and where was Captain Smith? Nowhere to be seen. His dick out with the ladies. Yeah, he was having a tug himself, wasn't he? So, yeah. <laughs> he was, he, the Titanic was a tugboat that day. Yeah, so Ooh. anyway. So let's go to the next picture and we'll look at the um, the route the titanic took um that'll show us on uh, a map of the um, of its journey across the atlantic so let's go into the to the next uh, picture yep. there. <clears throat> the ship w then went on to Cherbourg in france and then it went to cobra in ireland uh both without incident which was unusual for captain smith it then <laughs> headed out to its destiny yeah its destination which was new york so this maiden voyage so it went so there we go there if we go to the next picture we can see a that was um, the um, Titanic was found about this time of the year, wasn't it? I can't remember what year it was, but it was found around found around about this time of the year. Because I watched something the other day, and they said on this on this day in history that they found the Titanic remains. It was 1985, yeah. and found by Robert Ballard, who actually Ballard Ballard. Yeah, the, he was paid to find um, he was to find some submarines, but he said, "I'll I'll do that if you let me look for the Titanic as well." So he found the submarines and the Titanic. So, um, so anyway, 
There were much fun and games on the voyage. First-class passengers enjoyed the luxury that they were accustomed to, whilst lower-class passengers had a taste of the high life as opposed to their pikey existence back home. The first two days of the voyage went without incident, and the ship was making good time. So, yeah, so um, first two days, there was only water, so um, you couldn't really do much wrong. But, yeah, it went without incident. Let's have a look at another picture of the Titanic, and we'll have a little... Um, Question after this one. Let's look at the next picture. And who can tell me what is wrong? What's wrong with that picture? Can anyone tell me? It's the Titanic there. Looks like it's going backwards. You no, it's going forwards. Uh, well, the smoke's going the wrong way, isn't it? But you're almost there. You're close, actually. There's. If you don't know the answer, I'll let you know. The fourth, it, then, fourth front. No, the, well, the the fourth Only funnel. three of the engines. So yes. three of the smokestacks are going. So, ah, hang on. I was told, yes. isn't the fourth one where they store deck chairs or something? Mm. Oh, wait, I know. It for... um, they were saying because if they only had three smokestacks, it looked wrong. So they put four, yeah. and that's more aesthetically pleasing. That's the main reason. Yeah, they they did use it for ventilation and that, but the main reason for it was because if the Lusitania and the Mauritania, they had four funnels. So it gives, it gives that impression of more uh, more power. More. The yeah. ship. It was just, just bullshit. Let's go to the next picture is and we like can look at a GTI the actual badge picture. On it then, is it? Yeah, go fast, the stripes, that kind of thing. So for the next picture, and you can actually see the, cool, the actual Titanic You wouldn't want to be on the back end of that, is, would you? Look, you'd be your face full of fucking smoke, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be on it at all. <laughs> it's... Uh, as you can see there, the fourth funnel, there's no smoke coming out, and that's the actual... Uh, so, yeah. So, so, there we go. So, on the 14th of April, the Titanic crossed a cold weather front with strong winds and waves of up to eight feet high. These died down in the evening, and the weather became very clear and calm, but very cold. The Marconi radio room operators were busy sending passenger messages. So, it was like sending the messages was like a primitive email type system if you like same Didn't sort of they thing make the money from um sending the messages as well wasn't that where they the did. income came from yeah so yeah they were paid per message message and with rich passengers on board they had a lot of business so so let's look at some of the some of the messages that we received uh, from other ships on that day. So this is uh, the, on the 14th of April. Uh, this is the other. This is the other messages that that sh uh, ships had sent to the Titanic, which they received. So at 9 a.m. on the 14th, the Titanic reads the message. A message from the ship Caronia. The message read: Captain Titanic, westbound steamers report bergs, growlers, and field ice. Then he gave the coordinates. A growler is a sort of a, an iceberg underwater, if you like. You don't oh, see also, much of a it. A growler is also another thing, yeah. isn't it? Do you remember uh, Bo Selector? Can yeah. I see me growler? Would you like to <laughs> <Yeah>, me growler? <laughs> Hairy growler, I think, as well. You can call Also, it. am I jumping the gun, or is this the point at which um, the guy on the Titanic basically told the other guy to shut up? Or is that a bit later on? It is, yes. We'll come on to that shortly. Yeah, yeah. But that's true. So yeah, anyway, let's I go on to the next documentary message. about the Titanic recently. Mm. Yep. That happened. So mm. at 1.42pm... The growler should have told mm. him everything he needed to know because a growler is a sign of a much larger iceberg. I thought it was an iceberg which was under... A little bit of it was above 
the water, yeah, but it's loads of under that. form you can get. It's uh, two meters, six point six feet, and they're usually um, spawned from disintegrating icebergs. Anyway, at one forty-two p.m., there I've got a I've got a lettuce stuck up my ass. <laughs> Come on. Just the uh, tip of the iceberg. Uh, you must know that. Uh, everyone knows that joke. That's... Doctor, yeah. I've got a creek stuck up my eye. <laughs> a what? Stuck it real? Uh, how's that? Don't you start. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, cricket bat. Doctor, I've got Tom Jones stuck up my ass. Is that common? Oh, are you, had, Not you unusual. The, the other one about the, <laughs> the two queers are talking, and one of them says. Uh, Says uh, one says to the other, he says, "How's your ass?" And the other one goes, "Oh, shut up!" He says, "Those mine must be the weather." Uh, two nuns in a bath. Um. Anyway, oh, right, don't, let's go don't, back to this. Don't, because um, Hobbit doesn't get that joke, do you, Hobbit? Where's the soap? It, it still takes me a while <laughs> to. I know it doesn't make sense. It does. Well, maybe if you, you some, but... if you rub the soap on something, you wear the soap, don't you? The the soap wears. But anyway. Let's go back to this anyway. Oh. So at 142, yeah, oh, right. yeah. oh. so if you say where is the where is the something, you're asking where it is, but also you're saying something like that. It works. Anyway, okay, anyway. 142 p.m. on the 14th, the Titanic received a message from the ship Baltic 2. It read Greek steamer Athena reports passing icebergs and large quantities of field ice, and it gave the coordinates. At 1.45 on the same day, the Titanic received a message from the ship America, it read. America passed two large icebergs and gave the coordinates. 7.30 p.m. on the 14th, the Titanic received a message from the ship California, which read three large bergs five miles southward of us, and it gave the coordinates. At 9.40 p.m., the Titanic received a message from the ship Masiba, which read, much heavy pack ice, great number of bergs, and it gave the coordinates. At 10.55, the Californians sent another message to the Titanic saying that they had stopped after becoming surrounded by ice. The radio operators of the Titanic um, were so busy sending messages, they re replied to this warning saying, fuck off, I'm busy. And the no, Californians shut Apparently there was, another, there was another thing to it as well. Apparently because the California was so close that the uh, beeps were, well, quite, were mm. quite definite. That, that because because the proximity of the California, it made the beeps louder, which means it was like killing mm. the bloke's ear. They still received that message. That was the and that and that that screwed up their um you know the, trying to send personal messages for people. Um, the Californian shut down its radio, its radio equipment at ten thirty p.m. So, so it's it's not as if that they they weren't aware. It's not as if Car Captain Smith was unaware that there was any um ice around that night. So they had enough warnings. He'd yeah, yeah, assem so. assembled a team nearly as good as himself then, hadn't he? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, they're, all, they're, all, they're a team built in his own image. <laughs> I think we're it in. Mm. Yeah, didn't have any qualifications. <laughs> Anyone could just get a job doing that. But anyway, okay then. So there we go. So yeah, the Californian was near, um, apparently, but some say it was nearer than others. Um, they did see the um, um, the ship the distance but they weren't sure what was happening so they didn't approach but uh, anyway okay so 
At 11.40 p.m., the two men in the crow's nest were comparing helmets and not paying attention to where the ship was heading. Seaman Staines and Master Bates were on lookout duty that night, and at the very last minute, they spotted a huge iceberg right in the path of the ship. Iceberg dead ahead, said Staines. Oh, fuck, said Bates. The information was relayed to the bridge, and the crew set about turning the ship to avoid collision. Hard-ons to port. So <laughs> isn't that isn't that their first mistake? The fact they tried to turn away from it. If they'd have just whacked it head yeah. on, they'd have been a lot better uh, off. Yeah, yeah. Like, it it would, but you're not going to do you're, you're not going to do that, are you? Though, you're gonna go. You're not gonna. If you see something ahead, you are going to try and turn. So, yeah. had they gone in straight into it into the iceberg, the um, they would stay afloat because of the quarter tight compartments. Yeah, but, the collision the collision bulkheads would have got it. That's what they're there for. Yeah. yeah. So anyway. So they saw an iceberg dead ahead. The ship went past the iceberg and looked like it had avoided a catastrophe. There were some passengers and crews they said they felt a vibration. Uh, yeah, let us pray. Yeah. So um, they felt a vibration as it passed the berg. In boiler room six, in the bow of the ship, suddenly it started taking water and flood. It was looking a lot worse than first thought. Captain Smith at the time was in bed with the cabin boy, and the cabin boy had all of Captain Smith inside him when the ship passed the iceberg. Smith had to stop what he was doing, withdraw, and go and inspect the ship. He threw on a dressing gown and headed to the bridge. He was still hard at the time. So, so yeah, the initial the initial impact is not, uh, not as bad as it was going to become, but anyway, we'll see. After inspecting the ship, it was discovered that six watertight compartments had been breached. The ship does collided with the part of the iceberg that was under the water that had done this damage. The ship's designer, Thomas Andrews, told Captain Smith that the ship was sinking and the lifeboats would have to be launched. Let's have a look at the next picture. We'll see. Have you heard that other theory the that the coal did. was at? That, that somehow an em, uh, a bit of coal mm. had, had, had fell out into the uh, into the actual coal pile and the coal had been blazing for a couple of days and that's what weakened the hull. It had. Hmm. The shit the, the yeah that that's that's one theory and there are there are pictures um showing a showing a sort of a darker mark on that side of the ship as it leaves port. Yeah. But um wasn't it was it was common for ships to go to sea with um with fires and they and they sorted it out anyway. So but anyway well, they got as we can see there <laughs> yeah. As we can see, the watertight compartments. If we, if we, there's water in the tight watertight compartments there. So let's have a look. If we can count how many compartments are breached, and then we'll do the we'll do the math. Which uh, so only bit. five. Five and a bit. They should be well, right. That's uh, that's more than five, isn't it? Six. So as we said Six earlier, and it was yeah. only unsinkable if it was five. Yep. So. There uh, were 16 watertight compartments. Yeah, well, there's still a hole in it. Five <laughs> and a bit is more than five. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, it would not. It would. It would stay afloat with five. Um, the Olympic had a huge hole in it, and that didn't sink. So maybe that incident uh, gave a bit of confidence and a bit of truth into this um, theory. But as we can see, um, six compartments have breached there. So. It's not good, and the ship the is doomed. The fact that the, is it something to do with the way it buckled or the rivets or something like that, isn't it? Yeah, it was. We were. Um, there was because of the whole way the hull was was curved. There was the rivets were put in 
by machine on the straighter sections, but where the hull curves, that had to be done manually by man. Three million rivets they were in the ship. But um, yeah, and that, and that made weren't it weaker. Weren't some of them inferior as well? Weren't some of the rivets they inferior? <laughs> they were by today's standards, but it was normal on ships in those days. And, um, okay. you know, when you build a ship, you don't intend to go into an iceberg. So, so yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, it wasn't good material, but, uh, you know, had they not hit an iceberg, it would have had a long, a long service. And the Olympic was made the same that had the long service and other ships as well. So wasn't wasn't uh, uncommon. Um, so anyway, Captain Smith gave the order to launch the lifeboats, women and children first. So in today's that's climate, another you could thing sell they did. They misunderstood that order, didn't they? Because it's ba because what you should do is is send the lifeboat out full, and and but if there are women and children, you put them in first. But they kind of took it too literally and that it was like only women and children would go in the lifeboats wasn't it and also you the message gets uh confused if it goes down the line yeah but um these days you could self-identify as a woman couldn't you, you could say well i yeah. Yeah, i've got the a body of a man but i am actually a woman let me on that fucking lifeboat so yeah. oh yeah so yeah but it, you know it's um even if you thought it was Women and children only. It doesn't take a genius to sort of work out that you don't send it out. So I think some of the staff were a bit thick and just generally oh, like, incompetent. Like I said, they're, they're, all in Smith's they're all in Smith's image, aren't they? It comes from the top down, yeah. doesn't it? Do the you, problems with the Titanic. Do you honestly think they were thick, Ian, or do you think that panic had started to set in and they, they were making silly decisions because of panic? Maybe. Didn't have um, much leadership, it seems, or poor uh, leadership. Hmm. Yeah, so, you know, it's hard to say, but I think, like, what qualifications do you need for a job on a boat? Um, Back then, probably. Don't need a, yeah, you don't need a PhD, do you? It's so, no. yeah, they, but anyway, okay, so, um, Titanic had a total of 20 lifeboats. This would have been able to accommodate 1,178 people. There were 2,208 people on board the ship. So, um, unless there was a, a rescue vehicle come along quickly, a lot of the people were going to die. Well, the rumors um, are the that's, why the, that's why the California was there. It was told to go there and park up, wasn't it? That's right, with all the, the, the warm clothing. Yeah. But we'll come mm. on to that. Um, but anyway, so um, the maximum capacity of the ship was 3,547 people. So it wasn't filled to maximum, but it still had, didn't have enough lifeboats. Um, you'd think that was incompetence on the part of the White Star Line, but did have enough lifeboats to comply with maritime safety regulations at the time. So um, the regulations were out of date. So after this incident, regulations were reviewed and updated. So yeah, so ship is sinking. Many lifeboats carried the, um, half of their maximum capacity. And reasons for this is initially people believed the ship was unsinkable, so did not want to get in a lifeboat. Some sources claimed that they were afraid the lifeboats would buckle under the weight of a full load. Um, some officers in charge of the lifeboats misunderstood Captain Smith's command of women and children first and thought they said women and children only. Duh. And then, well, first, so they would not allow they, men. You know, they sound a bit, they yeah. sound similar, don't they? Deaths from wouldn't allow death men with. in the lifeboat, even if there was space. So stupid really 
Um, an inquiry into the sinking revealed that White Star Line wanted fewer lifeboats on deck to provide an um, unobstructed views for passengers and made the look, ship look easier on the eye. So, so yeah, they the White Star Line even removed lifeboats just to make the the ship look look uh, look nicer. So yeah, mayhem broke out on deck as it became apparent the ship was going down. Many people would not be saved as it was everyone for themselves. Let's go to the next picture and we'll look at an artist's impression of the sinking because no one thought to take any photos with their their um, phones. There we go. So that's a, an illustration there of the uh, the mayhem going on that night. Because it started ah, so, going uh, down, didn't it? And then it split, didn't it? Uh, it did. Um, I think James Cameron was very... He was very on the... Um, on the recreation bit, wasn't he? He was absolutely, absolutely spot on with all that, wasn't he? Some of the survivors said that it did split, but others said it didn't. So no one really knew until they actually did discover the ship and did find it in two pieces. So it split. Um, so yeah, there's an artist's impression there of Captain Smith's handiwork. So initially sinking was slow and the ship held up for two hours, but panic broke out hey, as people realised they were going on, to die. Over the right hand side. Yep. Look. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you can stand. Yeah. But yeah, so um for some stupid reason the ship's um the ship's band started played amongst all the mayhem. And uh so that was a bit stupid, wasn't it? Fuck that, I'd get in a lifeboat. I wouldn't stand there playing my instrument. Loved ones Were said goodbye to each other. In anger? Were they yep. playing Don't Look Back in Anger? <laughs> um yeah, so um, I am sailing by Rod Stewart. I'm trying to think of um, sea-based <laughs> songs, but that's the best I can come up with. So uh, yeah, no, no, some men that, were seen that, wanking. That was that techno tune, weren't they? Uh, funky Town. We're going on and the fire down to the Funky Town. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, okay. Then. So um, some men were seen wanking as the ship ent as they entered their watery grave, whilst others fought over life jackets. At the two-hour point, quick sinking became more rapid. The stern of the ship rose out of the water, exposing its three gigantic propellers. The strain on the ship in this position was such that it broke in two. The bow then sank, but the stern remained afloat for a few more minutes, with hundreds of passengers clinging for their life. The stern then sank, and that was the end of the ship. So, yeah, there we go. So, uh, quite a messy scene, wasn't it, that Captain Smith created that night? Cock and bull. One thousand five hundred and seventeen lives were lost that night. Seven hundred and five people survived, and also three dogs survived. It remains one of um, the worst maritime disasters of our time. When the ship was going down, the radio operators were still able to send distress calls, and one of these was picked up by the ship Carpathia, who headed to the scene. We've got, we've they got arrived at 4 a.m. we got a question mm -hmm. from yeah, the chat, Ian. For the panel, what song yeah. would you play during sinking? That's what I was just trying to think of just now. Um, yeah. Um, I think I'd have to go the final countdown. It's the yeah. final no, no easy way out. Been in no Japanese by the vapors. Yeah. <laughs> go the, the water by Death Clock. The song by Celine Dion. Underwater love. Yeah. 
I'm going to a watery grave by a band. Right, so. Anyway, so the Capetia arrived at the scene at 4 a.m., by which time the Titanic was long gone. They were able to pick up 13 lifeboats and their passengers. So, as I said, it was... Um, oh, shit. No one yeah, took the any... One, the one we missed, Ian, down, down, by status and quote, down, down, deeper. Oh, yeah, down, down. Well, you like, know, like, over and down. Sinking like Barry White. <laughs> Right, let you, let's let you yeah. carry on now. Um, no, I'm trying what to think of a song. What did the Carpathia do then? Did it just full steam ahead towards the Titanic's last known location? It did, yes. It Because that's um, the other thing. The Titanic yeah, was did. off course, wasn't it, by quite a bit? Um, it did go... When, when Captain Smith got the got the ice, some of the ice warnings, he did, he did change direction a bit, but not enough. So... Um, and also the coordinates were wrong when they got sent sent out. But the Carpathia did manage to find some survivors. And uh, and let's have a look at an actual picture of lifeboat that was um, was taken that night. Let's have a look. Go to the oh, next picture. And we can it on see. the film there. <laughs> that. That's one of the lifeboats there on the... On the, uh, on the on the left. Let's look at another picture of a lifeboat. There was quite a few pictures of lifeboats taken that night. None taken in the sinking, though. A bit disappointed in that. Go to the next one. Go to the next picture. Let's see. Got it. You want the one after this one or this one? Yeah. No. We're just uh, we're just skim through these. Yep. Yeah. There's another picture of the of the heroin survivors. Go what to the next one. Like? Let's have a look. What time were these people picked up? Was was morning. It was morning. April. So yeah, oh, would have okay. been a, would have been a bit light. Good yeah. job. Women used to wear so many clothes back yeah, then, you... it? Yeah. Extra warmth was provided by the life jackets. Go to the next picture. This is a good one, actually. If you look dog. closely on this one, yeah, there's a dog in it. This is... <laughs> yeah, that's nice. Is that someone in blackface on the right hand side there? It was allowed in those days, though, it wasn't. Um, it was allowed in those days. So. Hmm. This was, this was um, the early 20th century. Go to the next picture. Let's see a close-up of the dog. So, yeah. So, there is an actual dog in a life. Think that the... Um, how nice of the animal-loving passengers to do that, isn't it? But think it through. You, you don't know how long you're going to be in a lifeboat, do you? So, yeah. I get a bit hungry. And uh, they don't have a problem with that in Korea, do they? So, uh, a total of three dogs died during the sinking. So... Uh, so he survived during the sinking and about seven died. Go to the next picture. That's the actual iceberg that did the deed. So that's the supposed iceberg that um, no that's one saw on the party, Titanic. And this, yeah, well, I think Captain Smith was the guilty party. So. This photo was taken in the days after the sinking and the photographer said that there was red paint on it as if a large object had collided with it. Um, oh, they, so, were yeah, so that's... It. they were just framing the, they were framing the, uh, yeah. the look. They went. They went out. Painted a bit of red. Pa look! Look! It's the murder. It's got blood yeah. on it. Look. Yeah. It's the guilty object. Go to the next page. We can see someone getting fished out of the sea. One of the survivors. You can see that iceberg had hit something. That's got a massive yeah. chunk missing. That's just the tip of the iceberg. There's yeah. someone actually being fished out of the water. So yeah. Um, so yeah, various bodies were found during the uh, cleanup operation. Afterwards, the cabin boy's buggered and bruised body was also found, and the leader of the band, who foolishly played on during the sinking, was found floating on the surface with his violin strapped to his chest, 
go to the next um, picture. Let's have a look. This is his actual violin, which was fished out of the water. You can see that. And, uh, there it is. Two strings on it. Still survives today. It was sold in auction in 2013 for $1.7 million. So, yeah, I doubt it. It's only got two strings, but uh, it's the sentiment. $1.7 million, not bad. Let's go to the next picture. Well, let's go to the next picture and we'll see how, what the ship looks like today at the bottom of, this, of the ocean. Oof. It's half the ship, the other half's somewhere else. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, isn't it? It's, it's quite a few miles away, isn't it? Nautical miles. <laughs> it's a bit, I think it's about two miles down, so. No, it's so about, uh, about the other half. The other half's a couple of miles away, isn't it? Yeah, it is a, it is a bit of a distance away. But, uh, yeah. but there we go. And you can take submarine ships, submarine um, ships down to the bottom as well. You can pay about 100 grand for that if you want to do that. Um, well, I, watch, I watched that... Um, that Ghost of the Titanic documentary. He said that was the last trip anyone was ever making to the Titanic ever. Yeah, <laughs> I doubt it. Still going down there. They're always down there, mm. yeah. and they're taking things. Bastards. Um, right. So, uh, all right. What do we do? Well, let's have a quick look at um one of the guys responsible for this. Uh, let's go to the next picture. He's a handsome um, a guy called Frederick Frederick Fleet. Who was like uh, Bob Pryor from the Bills. It was the guy who didn't see the iceberg. He was on look look out that night. So looking a bit of a looking a bit of a simpleton. And there he is. The, like well, yeah, the, the story is the story Village is idiot. that it's an absurdly clear night that night, which would have made it even harder to see an iceberg on the surface. Yes. Well, <laughs> the, the, the the village idiot. Yeah. Fuck with. So anyway, they had no, um, they had no yeah. binoculars up in the crow's nest as well. Did he survive? True. Or did he die? Did yeah, because he was, he was, it was his job to. Um, he was in charge of a lifeboat. I wouldn't put him in charge of anything. But anyway, yeah, so it was Fleet who issued the. Yep, it was Fleet who issued the. What do you say? What do you say, Nordic? Didn't they give evidence at the inquiry? Um, he did. He did say that. Said if he had binoculars, he would have been able to see it easier. Yeah. But anyway, it was Fleet who issued the famous words "iceberg right ahead," but it was too late. Uh, Fleet was lucky to get into a lifeboat and survive the disaster. Well, he wasn't. It wasn't a woman and a child. Back but to, back to, you know, <laughs> back people to thought he was a men, People thought he was um, disabled, mentally disabled, so they let him in a lifeboat. But he wasn't. Uh, normally, the lookouts used binoculars, but on that night, there were none. The binoculars were locked away in a cupboard below the decks. The keys to the cupboard had mistakenly been taken to another ship. Uh, at an inquiry into the tra tragedy, Fleet claimed that he would have seen the iceberg sooner if he had had binoculars. They had no, they had no, um, uh, they had no crowbars either or bolt cutters or anything yeah. at all to take um, the lock off. Yeah, I know. Or, or just basically look where you're going, you know? Yeah. Um, so anyway, it was, uh, so that's what, um, he hung himself in 1965 and he died a pauper. Um, so his grave exists in Hollybrook Cemetery in Southampton, along with many other Titanic graves. And also comedian Benny Hill is buried there. Let's have a look at Fleet's grave. Let's have a look at the next picture. We can actually see, see uh, what his grave looks like. Well, is someone Sorry. taking the piss there? When they got him the lookout oh. on the Titanic, is that something he was like a pauper, so... all over his memory? 
Well, we'll come on to that because, um, but yeah, the the what it was, the um, he had a shit grave. But that's quite a good grave. But the Titanic Society paid for that grave for him because he was a uh, died a pauper. No one would give him a job after what he did. So. On the 14th of April, 2012, it was the 100th anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic. So let's have a look at Fleet's grave on that day. Let's go to the next picture and see, have a look at Frederick Fleet's grave on the 100th Ooh, anniversary bastard. of the sinking. <laughs> <laughs> Some jokers. Some jokers have put a pair of binoculars on the grave. Dude, so let's go on to the next. actually put some binoculars there? That's yeah, hilarious. Let's go to, the, go to the next picture. We can see a close-up. Who could have done such a thing? So we can do the the um was left with a note which reads as follows: Dear Fred, sorry for bring, bringing these one hundred years too late, but better late than never. You said if you had these, you would be had enough time to set Titanic away from the iceberg. So there they are, love Francis. So I found that quite amusing, but uh, not everyone saw the funny side. Nigel Wright of the Titanic Society and Virgin said, it's shocking that this has happened. It's, this is desecration. I cannot believe someone would do this and has ruined the anniversary for me and many others. He went on, you cannot blame Fleet for the disaster. It would have been very difficult to use binoculars that night, but I, I blame well, we him. We wouldn't so. know. We wouldn't know, would we? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I love how Ian called him a virgin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Or join the Titanic Society when they, they're single and lonely. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so um, key to the binocular cupboard, which went missing. That's, that's some proper analogue cool. that, analog shit posting, that, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, the, the key to the binocular cupboard, which went missing and thus caused the disaster, was sold in 2007 for 90 grand. <laughs> Go to oh, the next gee, picture. Let's yeah. look at this key. Which I know if you've got if you've got some Titanic uh, memorabilia, you can make a few quid. But there we go. That's the key. Ninety grand for that. Yeah, yeah fuck the key. So, <laughs> like the fuck, that's what fucked it all up. So anyway, yeah. we've looked at the two accounts: the Titanic and the Titan. So what we can do now, um. What we can do now, let's look at, let's compare the two stories and see, we can decide for ourselves then if it is, um, this was a psychic premonition or the, or just um, or just a bit of luck. So yeah, let's, that picture there. So as soon as the Titanic became worldwide news, Morgan Robertson, who wrote Futility, changed the name of this book to The Wreck of the Titan. So this is the new cover. This is the new version of the book that he released um, after the Titanic disaster, sort of cashing in on it. So danced on people's graves and made a few quid out of that. Yeah. So yeah, there we go. That's a that different with the binoculars danced on somebody's grave, didn't it? Yeah. So let's have a look. I'll tell you what then, we'll look at the two ships side by side. So we got the pictures. If you go to the next uh, slide there, Hemi, we can look at actually yeah. the two pictures and look how similar the two boats were. The fictional Titan, the real Titanic. There we go. That's the Titanic on the top and the fictional Titan below. So it's a bit smaller, isn't it? Titan has also got some sails, but apart from that, similar. What are they so, sailing uh, for in case they run out of coal? I don't know, actually. I think <laughs> I think it was at the age where you had a bit of um, wind and sail. The Titanic was 882 foot in length. The Titan was 800 foot. So it's a bit similar. 
Uh, they both had four funnels, but the Titan, as we can see, also had sails. Burson described the Titan as unsinkable. Some parties also claimed that the Titanic the was Titan unsinkable. The Titan had a red flag on the back as well. Yeah, the, the Titanic had a blue blue flag. So yeah, when the um, when the Titan hit the iceberg, it was going at twenty five knots. When the Titanic hit the iceberg, it was travelling at two hundred. Uh, sorry, twenty two point five knots. So again, similar speed. The Titan held two thousand five hundred passengers. The Titanic held two thousand two hundred, though its capacity was three thousand. Ships were British-owned. Both ships hit their starboard bow around midnight. Both ships sank in the North Atlantic, exactly 400 miles from Newfoundland. Both ships had a severe lack of lifeboats. Titan had 24, Titanic had 20. Both ships had a triple-screw propeller. So, considering the book was written 14 years before the actual event, it's um, quite a coincidence, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. The book wasn't 100% accurate, though. So let's have a look at some of the discrepancies. So the Titanic's... Well, Ian, just out of curiosity, before you get into the rest of the story, do you think there's like some sort of predictive programming in, in time? Like major events, I mean, I think the Titanic is a major event. So artists would have got the idea for a story very similar to reality. Like, I don't think there was predictive programming in The Simpsons that uh, showed 9-11. I think it was a case that the artists were doing something and uh, they didn't realise. So it sends, like, ripples in, into the past. Yeah. Sound waves coming through. Um, Nostradamus or the prediction of 9-11. Well, that's yeah. how I think uh, these events affect uh, artists and how it shows up in their work. Well, that latest episode yes. of well, Dallimpole, um, I can't remember the guy's name, but the guy that Dallimpole was talking to, he said, he said that time isn't linear; time is spherical. But we just we just perceive it linearly because that's how we can cope with it. Yes, the book wasn't a hundred percent accurate, though. So let's have a look at some of the discrepancies. The Titan sinking left only 13 survivors, whereas the Titanic left 705. The Titan actually capsized before sinking, whereas the Titanic split in two. Um, one of the survivors of the Titan survived by climbing onto the iceberg, and on the iceberg he encountered and killed a polar bear. So that didn't happen in the nice. Titanic story. So, yeah, so, yes. Um, basically the facts of those two stories so yeah it's quite similar quite odd isn't it um one thing which uh went unnoticed would i actually noticed when looking at the two stories morgan robertson the writer of the um the titan first name was morgan and who owned the uh, titanic jp morgan yes even more queer um what um what robertson did say though was um was um he used to work on ships it wasn't it wasn't a psychic prediction it was just a case of anyone who was going to write a story about a big ship would probably come up with these uh these factors it's up to you to decide it's, it's quite surprising no one's ever made a made a film of it though that, you know like the fight in the polar bear when the ice is on the ice cap and like <laughs> the book itself isn't that good it's just uh just the fact that it uh has such a similar you know someone made that, yeah. <laughs> 
and sh sh giant shark via octopus, giant octopus, or something like Close that. Close encounters of the shark kinds, which I couldn't watch. It was that bad. <laughs> Sharknado. Oh, you back in a second. But yeah, that's that's basically the. So we've covered the sinking of the Titanic and the story of the Titan. So what we'll look at shortly is the um, the Olympic conspiracy. We like that one. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay then. So, some people believe that the Titanic never actually sank, and the whole disaster was actually an insurance scam involving the Titanic ship sister ship, Olympic, which we looked at earlier. The theory states starts with the fact that the Olympic was damaged whilst under the cack-handed command of Captain Smith in September 1911. Ship had to return to the Harland and Wolf shipping yard in Belfast for repair. Olympic was repaired, and then it sailed to from England to New York and back. It required more repairs in March 1912 after being damaged again, whilst under the command of Captain Smith. It was only a few weeks before the Titanic allegedly set sail. So basically, the Olympic is in a bit of a state beyond repair, really. So I I heard that the the bill for damages because they collided with the Royal Navy ship, the Admiralty wouldn't pay any damages. Um, yeah, that could be the case, but um, basically, it was a, the Olympic was a, a mess. Basically, you weren't going to, uh, you couldn't repair it. It would cost too much to repair. So, so yeah, basically, the theory claims that it was found that the Olympic was so severely damaged that it was beyond repair. Um, the owners of the Titanic planned to purposely ditch the ship and reap the insurance money and kill a load of people at the same time. So they not really bothered about killing all those people. They just wanted the money. Because the Olympic was out of service and workers were taken off the building of the Titanic to repair Captain Smith's fuck-ups, the launch of the Titanic was delayed. And uh, this was something that White Star Line could not afford. No one would know that the ships were swapped except for the people in charge, J. Bruce Ismay, Lord Peary, Thomas Andrews, and J.P. Morgan. So the ships were identical, so it would be easy to swap them. Um, so let's have a look at those four people. These are the. If we go to the next picture, yeah, let's have a look at the uh, the people in on the conspiracy. So there you go. That's the the Bruce Ismay, Thomas Andrews, J.P. Morgan, and Perry, who owned the. Uh, Shipyard. <clears throat> Were they identical in JP Morgan. as well? Does anybody know that? Were they identical enough to just? <laughs> were they identical enough to just well, swap a few plaques? They wouldn't be. Stuff, were they? Well, that's what they oh, did. Okay. They did swap carpets, flat plaques, that sort of thing. I think yeah, they had yeah. just um, regulation crockery, and that that wasn't so specific to the line. So basically, oh, just like weather spoons, where the crockery is all the same throughout each pump, but the carpets are all different. Yeah, yeah, they all got all got puke on them. So, and piss. Yep. JP Morgan was due to go out on the Titanic, but cancelled at the last minute because of ill health. But he was spotted in France two days later, perfectly healthy. Morgan also had seven, val seven valuable bronze statues on board the, the ship, uh, but had these removed an hour before the ship left Southampton. So that's a bit fishy, isn't it? Uh, Morgan spoke, spoke out publicly that he, he would definitely be on the ship was the reason behind his cancellation because he knew the ship was going to be sunk. Yeah, so, makes sense. Yeah. Uh, 
Jay Bruce Ismay's wife and children were due to go on the voyage, but they also cancelled due to his wife's ill health. But However, I'll do the, I'll they were do spotted the swamp on gas a... over Venus bit. But what about the people that are involved in, you know, like the stuff like changing plaques, the engineers and things like that, repairing it? Stuff well, like yeah, we are, they were those people were there, and we'll look at that shortly. Um, but Jay Bruce Ismay's family, who was supposed to be on the ship but cancelled through ill health, they were spotted on a motoring holiday. Uh, in Wales at the time of the sinking. So they weren't exactly sick, were they? Um, yeah. As soon as the plan was set in motion, they went about to change in the Olympic to look like the Titanic and vice versa. They did. I don't know who they are, though. Carpets, flooring, and nameplates were changed to complete the illusion. Yeah. Um, so there, a ship called the Californian, who we mentioned earlier, was also in on the act. The fact that this ship was able to find coal when there was a coal strike is suspicious. When it left London, there were no passengers on board. Instead, there was a small cargo of blankets and warm clothes. Perhaps these for, were for the rescued passengers and crew of the Titanic. Uh, the ship wasted no time in getting out of port and into the North Atlantic. So the Californian and the, on the scam as well. So they'd well, probably have to give them some money, the wouldn't they? Of the California, wouldn't it? Yeah. But, uh, anyway... Because of the rush to get out of port, the captain of the Californian left behind his wireless chart, which would be needed. Um, this, would t this would tell the ship where the Titanic was at the time it was to be rescued. But he forgot that chart, so, that's, so they weren't in the right position at the time. Let's go to the next picture, and we'll look at the Titanic and the Olympic when they were having their um, fixtures and fittings swapped ready for the scam. So we'll have a look at that. There we go. There they are together. Um, Titanic is on the right of the photo, so that's but you can't tell the difference because they're exactly the same, or is it the Olympic on the right? We don't know. Um, the Olympic left, um, on the left, that's being repaired in Belfast, and um, th that picture was taken on the morning of the 2nd of March 1912. Uh, a few weeks after that photo was taken, the Titanic would be at the bottom of the sea, so or was it the Olympic? Of the two. Would that, would, that, would that explain the kind of the weird um, breaking up of the ship? The yes. In the middle where it was repaired. Mm. Yes. I think there was a kind of a, um, a flexy bit in the middle as well, which, which, which did, yeah. did help with the split. Go on to the next uh, picture. I think we saw this one earlier, but again, we can yeah. see, we can see the scene of the Titanic and the Olympic being swapped. So there we go. The two ships there, and no doubt the people are taking the fittings out of one and putting it in the other, ready for sale. So um, this would have been the time when the ships were swapped. If we go to the next picture, we can look at a, a difference between the two ships. So there are ways of identifying two ships. So if we go to the next picture, we can see the portholes oh. of the Olympic and the Titanic. You see, Olympic has thinner portholes, which are not evenly spaced. Titanic. There's more square portals which are evenly spaced. So um, you can identify the ship by these things. Oh, if we go to the next picture, yeah. no sea. Yeah, picture. let's not let's not forget that um, some of the men that were in, that were against the Federal Reserve died in the Titanic. They say that, but there was three people. 
powerful people to and one of them was in favor of the federal reserve and the other two didn't bother at all about it so anyway so we can see there the top picture is the ship Ooh. on the bottom of the sea second picture that picture cleaned up so you can see the windows next picture is that on the olympic bottom one is the one of the titanic so the ship at the bottom of the sea it's got the same windows as the Olympic. It must have been a scam, eh? It must be the Olympic. Strange. Uh, your friend, uh, your friend Dominic's come in. He said, uh, "Hi, Ian." I said, "I'd get here." Dominic's in. Oh yes, he's in. He, he'll he'll come on one week and do a oh, okay. do a do one with us. Oh, um, yeah, is so that Dom that we've spoken to before. It's, not, it's another Dom. It's another, oh, another Dom, actually. Dom. It's, yeah, 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 no, Dom will come on. Uh, yeah, you'll do a show when we... We went to the New Forest and did some investigations there. Oh, that, and, was, you, uh, that was you. That was you and carried, that Dom, was it? Yeah, uh, carried out the Ouija board session. So uh, try again this summer. So hopefully to get more uh, more um, success. But yeah, there we go. That's the... Uh, so as you can see there, the, the window comparison. So it looks like Ooh, the Olympic the did sink. Up, not, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And there's really even more. The Olympic. So other evidence of the switch was that staff involved with the with the ships knew of the swap. Over the years, White Star workers claimed to have been threatened that they will lose their jobs if they ever moved mouthed off about the swap. One such worker was a guy called Paddy Fenton. Let's have a look at him. Go to the next picture. Let's see. Let's oh, see he this looks guy. trustworthy, didn't he? He looks like the sort yeah. of guy you trust. He was known. He was known as Paddy the Pig, and he told his fellow seamen that the ships had been swapped. He said the following. When the surviving crew got to port, they were taken aside and met by two men, one high up, high up in the company and another one high up in the government. The government man read the crew the Official Secrets Act, explaining that if they told of the real reason for the sinking, they would spend 20 years in prison and would never get a job after they got out. So if I had that kind of threat, I would keep quiet as well yeah so um yeah but wouldn't so there have been some deathbed confessions or something like that and it could be but uh no one has said yet um, research shows that there was no one called paddy fenton that ever worked for the white star line or Har harland and wolf so he just made it all up to get attention he didn't he didn't actually said that oh, but anyway he's got such a trusty, trustable face though hasn't he? yeah Yeah, so another odd fact is when the Olympic went out of service in 1935, it was taken apart and recycled. The wood panelling that adorned the inside of the ship was used in the White Swan Hotel in Olnick. The number that appears on this panelling shows the number 401. This was the number given to Titanic when being built in Belfast. So that's interesting, isn't it? So, looking at all the evidence, the ship that sank was, in fact, the Olympic, not the Titanic. Even though this guy was telling lies, the other factors uh, mount up to that. Well, that's the thing. You have, you have misinformation, disinformation as well, don't you? Yeah. Um, the problem with this, though, there are a lot of holes in the theory. And the biggest is that the, the Titanic's insurance wasn't enough to cover the Olympic's loss. So, so basically, it would have... Uh, would have been a waste of time anyway doing that because you well, weren't going to get your money back. It would have been a total waste of time because they'd have got nothing if they hadn't done it at all, would they? Yeah, and all the people 
other people that caught compensation out of them as well after the sinking. So I think it was a big loss. Well, they've still, got, the three ships. Bo- they've still got a usable boat out of it, haven't they? Yeah. Out of the three ships though, they built, only 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 the Olympic made its uh, made its maiden voyage. The other two sank. Oh. So there we go. So that's that's what do you think? Do you think it was do you think they were swapped or do you think it's nonsense or not possible? I, I think they were swapped because um the damage that was done to the Olympic was very extensive. And apparently, the didn't the Olympic go on to serve in the war? Um, you'd think so, but it, maybe it did. But um, the Britannic did, obviously. But I don't. I'm not sure actually if the whether it did. But if it did, it survived anyway. So maybe it was used as a passenger, as a carrying troops, that kind of thing. But it carried and, on uh, serving up until the thirties. The as well. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of people that say when the Titanic launched. It had a list to stern, which mm. would which would say it's the Olympic because the Olympic had damage to its propeller. Yeah, but with the fire on the Titanic, though, they did move coal from one side of the ship to the other, and that may be another reason for the list. Yeah. But also, to get rid of the the burning coal, they chucked it into the burners, which made the ship go faster, which made them go too fast that they can avoid the iceberg. So. Uh... Yeah, there's a few theories surrounding it. So yeah, there we go. So that's that's not bad, is it? Uh, Mummy's curse. Yeah, Should we do this the bit? The Olympic okay. did serve in uh, the First World War. Yeah. Uh, it it rammed and sank a German U-boat just off the Isle of Scilly. Yeah. Yes, it's good stuff, but. So that's, there we go. So let's let's move on then to a couple of a um, couple of other other stories surrounding the Titanic. Um, did, you, did, you know the, so, uh, did you know the Olympic had, an, had a mutiny in nineteen twelve? Uh, so the Olympic no. the Titanic did not carry enough lifeboats for everyone on board, so it was hurriedly equipped with additional second-hand collapsible lifeboats following her return to Britain. Towards the end of April 1912, as she was about to sail from Southampton to New York, 284 of the ship's firemen went on strike for fear that the ship's new collapsible lifeboats were, lifeboats were not seaworthy. 100 non-union crew were hastily hired from Southampton as replacements, with more being hired from Liverpool. 40 collapsible lifeboats were transferred from troop ships and put on the Olympic. Many were rotten and would not open. Crewmen instead sent a request to the Southampton manager of the White Star Line that the collapsible boats be replaced by wooden lifeboats. The manager replied that this was impossible and that the collapsible boats had been passed as seaworthy by a board of trade inspector. The men were not satisfied and ceased work in protest. On the 25th of April, a deputation of strikers witnessed the test tour of collapsible lifeboats. One was unseaworthy and the deputation said it was prepared to recommend the men to return to work if the, if the boat were replaced. However, the strikers now objected to the non-union strikebreaker crew which had come on board and demanded they be dismissed, which the White Star Line refused. 54 sailors let, then left the ship objecting to the non-union crew who they claim were unqualified and therefore dangerous refused to sail with them. This led to the scheduled sailing being cancelled. All 54 sailors were arrested on charge of mutiny when they went ashore. On 4th of May 1912, Portsmouth magistrates found the charges against the mutineers were proven but just discharged them without imprisonment or fine. 
due to the special circumstances of the case. Fearing that public opinion would be on the side of the strikers, the White Star Line let them return to work in the Olympic sailed on the 15th of May. Oh, Ethan, what Damien put in the chat. What's Is that? it true that people who were trapped on the lower decks' heads exploded as it sank because of the air pressure? Oh, I don't know. Who knows? I, I mean, I don't think we got it quite far down. It is quite far down. <clears throat> like they have to use specialist submarines just to get down there. There was a woman who was on all three ships. Uh, the the Olympic when it had its accident, the Titanic when it sank, and then she worked on the Britannic when that sank as well. I think I there were other people. Yeah. Those ships. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, it's all it's all um, it's all coming together. But um, should we look at the Mummy's Curse, which is another another um, story related to the Titanic? So yep. let's go on this one. One of the passengers who lost their life on the Titanic was a guy called William Steed. He was a British editor who subscribed to early 20th century spiritualism. He spent several years claiming that a cursed mummy was causing mysterious destruction and disaster in London. Whilst on board the Titanic, Steed told his story, the story of the mummy's curse, to anyone who would listen. After the Titanic sank, a, a, a survivor recounted Steed's story to the press, who made something of it. Washington Post ran with the, the headline, Ghost of the Titanic, Vendance of Hoodoo Mummy Followed Man Who Writes Its History. People linked the mummy's curse to Egyptian artifacts, such as um, such as some, what some passengers took on the ship. Some versions of the story state that the mummy was actually on board the Titanic because the British Museum had sold it to an American who was shipping it home. The truth is that the so-called unlucky mummy is still at the British Museum and no mummy was ever loaded onto the ship. Uh, an iceberg sank the ship, not a curse. So yeah, so let's have a look at that cursed mummy, the next picture. And uh, this is, uh, this is um, the mummy that so-called sank the Titanic. If we go to the next, uh, there we go there. But it's actually still in the British Museum, so it wasn't on the Titanic at all. Um, so yeah, that's a brief, uh, a brief rumor. Um, the ship's number was cursed. One myth surrounding the Titanic is that Catholic employees of Harland and Wolfe in Belfast, who worked on building the ship, were distressed by the ship's number. The number was 390904. And this ship is viewed in a mirror. It reads, let's go to the next picture and see what it reads. So could be. It could be. 390904. There it is, reversed underneath. What does it say? Three. It says a word. It says something Two words. Pope, but I can't figure out what that first oh, word no is. Pope. No, no Pope. Oh, no Pope. Ooh. Uh, um, this was a, a sign of bad luck that foretold the ship's doom. As it turns out, though, the ship's hull number, as we mentioned earlier, was actually 401, and the no Pope number was more bullshit. Uh -huh. um, it was a board and, yeah, its board and trade number was nothing like it, and... Uh, was just made up um even if the number that read no pope backwards on the ship um was the actual ship's number there weren't any catholic workers at harland and wolf anyway to offend um so basically um there we go there That's, were no uh, catholic workers in an in an irish shipyard i think it was in i think it was 
the yard was in Protestant area. Um, oh, right. The company had driven its Catholic employees away in the late 1800s, and by the 20th, Harland and Wolfe had a reputation for only employing Protestants. So, yeah, you were allowed to do that in those days. No blacks, no dogs, no Irish. No. Well, it's like holiday camps saying no pikeys. Yeah. Yeah, so... So yeah, so there we go. There's a few um, stories of the Titanic. So, so yeah, what do you think? An actual disaster or something more supernatural? I think it was an insurance scam. Yeah, yeah, I think insurance scam. I think that makes. I mean, the bit about yeah. the official secrets act—that's suspicious. That means there's some sort of foul yeah. But play forget all that. On. They they put that plank. They put that plank in charge of the plane. It, it's that in charge of the plane. In charge of the ship. So you know. Yeah. Well, and when I asked earlier, like, were the uh, ship's crew uh, lack of leadership? I mean, if they've been hiring uh, uh, non-union workers as well. It seems inexperience and uh, well. If, you, if you're not in a union, yeah, exactly. You're a scab. You're you're not exactly known for your quality of work. Yeah. So and uh, there was a coal strike as well at the time, so it was difficult again to difficult to get coal. So that was a, that was odd relating to the Californian when hit uh, when it went when it had no problem getting it. So yes. All good stuff. Yeah. Have you got any questions about the Titanic? Uh, I'm just how long would it have uh, lasted for? Oh, sorry. What, what was it supposed to be like its operational service life? Because I think I remember reading about another ship, um, not the Titanic, another one, which eventually... It was a beautiful ship, and then it ended up um, the Runic. And it, ended, uh, it was like it was a it was a passenger ship. It was a transport. Then eventually, it just became a coal freighter, and then it was scuttled. And I think it lasted for about a hundred years. Yes, it had good mileage. The Olympic lasted for I don't know thirty years, over thirty years, and it saw service as well. I'm just going. I mean, through do you the, get uh, I'm just going through the Olympic. Wikipedia and it says so the so right at the end it says what what happened to the Olympics fittings because they were auctioned off before it was scrapped uh, the fittings of the Fleur first class lounge part of the aft aft the aft grand staircase can be found in the White Hons, White Swan Hotel hotel in Alnwick Alnwick how do you pronounce I don't know how to pronounce that Alnwick Northumberland Attic is it Attic I think it's Attic isn't it Northumberland a variety of paneling light fixtures, flooring and doors and windows for the Olympic were installed in a paint factory in Hot Lot, Northumberland, until they were auctioned in 2004. One suite at Spath House Hotel, Clayton Lamours, Lancashire, has the furniture from one of the staterooms, including light fitting, light fitting, sink, wardrobes and fireplace. The crystal and ormolu electrolier uh, from the lounge is installed in Cutler's Hall in Sheffield. Some of the timber panelling was used in the extension completed in 1937 of St John the Baptist Catholic Church in Pad Paddyham, Lancashire. Uh, in 2000, celebrity cruises purchased one of the Olymp Olympics 
Some of the Olympics' original wooden plant panels to recreate RMS Olympic restaurant on board their new cruise ship Millennium. According to the cruise line, this paneling had lined Olympics a la carte restaurant. Uh, and then the clock depi- depicting honour and glory crowning time from the Olympics' Grand Care staircase is on display at Southampton's, Southampton's Sea City Museum. Mm-hmm. So there you have it. Yeah. Isn't, isn't the uh, Titanic slowly disappearing as well? Yeah, it's uh, it's basically rust, isn't it? It's all rust now. Is it something to do with rusticles, isn't it? Rusticles? Yeah. yeah it's like the bacteria or something, I think. Yeah. Uh... Ian, do you Seen know about it, the rusticles? Like, I think they said within a... Within a hundred years, it won't be there anymore. Ugh, I can't see that. Uh, so, a rusticle. So, a rusticle is a formation of rust similar to an icicle or stalactite in appearance that occurs deep underwater when raw iron oxidizes. They may be familiar from under. They may be familiar from underwater photographs of shipwrecks such as the RMS Titanic and the German battleship Bismarck. They've also been found in the Number Three turret. 8-inch gun turret on the stern remains in place of the USS Indianapolis. Rusticles are created by micro- microbes that consume iron. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, this thing says uh, it's been estimated that the Titanic will completely collapse possibly as soon as 2025. That's mental. Oh, rest in peace, Titanic. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, I suppose in some ways it's a good thing it stops people, you know, treading all over, because it's, it's treated as like a... It's not treated... It should be treated as a grave site, shouldn't it? Well, it, it is much, yeah. treated as a grave site, but it isn't. Yeah, it's just like a, a freak show, isn't it? <laughs> the kind of thing. Yeah. This tourist attraction is for rich people. It's a rich people's tourist attraction. I wonder if are there there any are there any bodies actually in it? Are there? Does anybody know? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, Was that how you're exasperated by the question? No, I just I'm just imagining rich people playing with dead dead corpses, going. <laughs> I could just imagine you going, Hemi, you fucking dickhead. Of course, they sunk with the ship. They're fucking dead. They're you dead. Know. They drowned. <laughs> and you're making fun of them. Yeah, I think I think it should be oh, treated yeah. with some sort of reverence. I think there should be some sort of act of some some sort of universal act that stops all this like messing around with it. Oh, I think so. People are dickheads. They shouldn't be. It's, it, like you say, it's it's a grave site, it's well as the yeah. people have died for fuck's sake. Should we respect? It's going to be it's going to be gone though soon. It's getting eaten by by a uh, by a um, by a disease. So it's going to. They reckon in about twenty years, there's not going to be much of it yeah, left. Yeah, it's the so. rusticles, isn't it, Phil? Uh, uh, Ian. Mm. Yeah, rusticles. that's it. Ferrophagy bacteria. Yeah, to to give it its uh, fancy pants name. Yeah, yeah, Whoa. it's got a nice fancy name based on the Titanic as well, isn't it? 
uh, Halomonas Titanicae. Oh, okay. Uh, Punish John Kelly says, well, at least it lasted longer than Danielle Westbrook's nose. <laughs> yeah, the Titanic has outlasted a lot of us. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you, uh, do you, do you know enough, Phil, to have an opinion as to whether it's the uh, Titanic or the Olympic down there? I suppose you think, I suppose you'd say it was the Olympics, right? goddamn capitalists. I don't know. They're I've got no idea on the subject, to be fair. Yeah, um, why is, uh, yeah I haven't got no oh, idea. Actually, I'm anything. asking your opinion, Phil. Uh, oh, yeah. There were people which were objecting to the formation of the Federal Reserve, and they all sunk with the Titanic. So what of that do you think? That's <laughs> uh, good, isn't it? It's just a coincidence. I don't, I don't like, it's just a coincidence. I don't like the Federal it's Reserve. It's useless. I don't either. I don't like it either. It's capitalist bullshit. All of it is. Get rid of it. Usury, I would say. It's not capital. Yeah, it is, yeah. They, it they, is, they, yeah. Don't, they don't really uh, help out capital. Well, <clears throat> who said that capitalists have to help out capital? It's all about making as much money as possible. It's not about helping everyone else, is it? No, I suppose not. But I, I think this this call it what it is. It's usury. And uh, those yeah. that could have objected to it founding... Uh, they drowned. They're in the- well, I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you the TLDR on the Olympic slash uh, Titanic thing. Uh, ship calls the, okay. called the Olympic goes out for like its maiden voyage. Gets gets rammed by a naval ve- naval vehicle. Fucked up. Um, something goes on with the insurance. It's not going to pay out. So then the Olympic then gets tarted up and has all its fixtures and fittings swapped with the healthy ship Titanic, so it can then be taken out and sunk. Do you think capitalists oh, would do such a thing? Do you think Nate, JP? Do you think the JP Morgan would do such a thing, Phil? Yes, yeah, he would. That's perfectly plausible. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense because to murder for an insurance scam. I like that. Yeah. Perfectly plausible for JP Morgan to do that. <laughs> it fucking is when you consider the cost of a fucking ship. Like how much does a fucking ship cost? And if you're not getting the insurance on it, I can imagine people would definitely do that. They'd say, yeah. fuck yeah. <clears throat> but, and, and, I, I can imagine them even saying, well, there needs to be people on it. They'll say, oh, but people will die. And he'll say, well, they won't believe us, will they? Get them we all on there. We should do an episode about J.P. Morgan because uh, him and uh, Nikola Tesla had some uh, meetings. Yeah, because oh, yeah. basically it was, J- it was J.P. Morgan and Ed- Edison that bankrupted Tesla, didn't they? Because they brought, brought yeah, they heaps dickheads. and heaps and heaps of frivolous lawsuits, didn't they? Yeah. He had a romantic relationship with a pigeon, didn't he, Tesla? Yeah. Oh, yes. He, he, was, he, he was in love with the pigeon in the <laughs> last uh, years of his life. Ian, what do you think about uh, J.P. Morgan and Tesla? Um, I don't yeah, uh, they, yeah, cap- capitalists. So they must have been. Um, they must have been behind the sinking, I think. But I do think it's bullshit. And uh, what Paddy the pig said was uh, turned out to be lies as well. Would have used some parts. They would have used some parts of the Titanic to fix the um, to fix the Olympics. So that made sense. Oh, have you heard but this the insurance. One? Have you heard this one? Ian? I've just found. Uh... Uh, 1970s Mothman photo surfaces. Have you seen this one? Maybe not. Let's have a look. Yeah. See the, let's see the photo. First of all, I'll chuck the... So, 
the actual article itself is in general for everybody to have a look at. And then I shall... Uh... Mothman is real. So, 1970s Mothman photograph researchers surfaces uh, wow. allegedly captured five decades ago I mean that could literally be fucking anything couldn't it shows an unidentified creature in the trees uh, a few days ago received an email from an individual who wished to remain anonymous whose late father had reportedly <laughs> taken a photograph of a creature somewhere in the United States but is this really a mothman as a sender suggests or is it more mundane explanation it looks like a bear climbing a tree. Could just be just just be the uh, the colour of the photo. In it could be the Mothman, couldn't it? Got two legs. Clown apps. Did you guys ever hear that Mr. Keel, who wrote the book about Mothman, said there was some kind of government agents that had some foreknowledge of that bridge collapsing? Hmm. Uh, the men in black black were involved as well yeah because they were all over that place weren't they gave keel a visit kind of gave the idea that they had foreknowledge or something Mm. sorry guys i'm Uh, I'm trying to find proof that this um jay bruce's may was jewish but i'm not finding anything so (laughs) spooky tales don't Basically, what they're saying here is spooky tales don't don't make don't make NPCs scared. Apparently, uh, so a new study has revealed that ghostly tales and scary stories have little impact on those with mind blindness. Reading a particularly chilling ghost story or watching a paranormal documentary can unnerve even the most staunch of skeptics. But for some people, even the most terrifying of tales has no opinion, uh, no impact whatsoever, and it's all to do with how we picture things in our heads. In a recent study, scientists conducted an experiment in which they measured people's fear response by monitoring changing skin conductivity levels, in other words, how much they sweat. Approximately half of those taking part suffered from aphantasia or mind blindness, which meant they were unable to picture things in their heads the way most of us do. I mean, I've had a couple of girlfriends who read books and they don't imagine what they're reading in their head. I saw this one saying like five drawings of an apple with increasingly less detail, and the fifth one is just is nothing. And they're saying on a scale of one to five, if someone says apple, what do you see in your mind's eye? Yeah. And I think I'm a three out of five. I can like make I can make out like it's round and you know it's got a stalk at the top. Or it might be red or it might be green, but the textures and stuff, no, I can't really do that. You can't. No, well, no, like I said, I'm not. I'm not oh. a very visual person. And my my so imagination. What happens, what happens when you read a book, then, Hobbit? Do you imagine the events in your head like a film? Well, it, it's not as detailed as a film. So, like, it's not. It's not the full picture. Like, I'm thinking of June, and I can think of sandworms, and it's like, well, it's big, but I don't know how big a big is, and yeah. uh, you know, I can imagine like an ornithopter because that's a a strange vehicle, and yeah. Yeah. Okay. But like I say, it's a three out of five. I've not got perfect imagination. Oh, okay. Then. Yeah. Oh, uh, your mum said about a bump, didn't she? She heard a bump. That's right. Uh, well, um, maybe next. 
next there, week there was we a, can get her there was in. a meteor that created a loud sonic boom over the UK. Oh, that was she Saturday. That was Saturday one. afternoon, anyway. So Saturday oh, okay. afternoon, Dor- Dorset, Somerset, and Devon and Jersey had heard a loud sonic boom that shook their windows and left many concerned and confused. Yeah, I mean, uh, she heard it at three in the morning, yeah, uh, not last night, the night before last, yeah. and um, I heard nothing. I was fast asleep. <laughs> Hobbit. <laughs> pasta, pasta breaks wind on people to heal them. Oh, p- p- <laughs> uh, you must forgive me. <laughs> I am a Christian now. <laughs> Uh, hold on a sec. Uh, oh shit, I've got it. I thought I had it. Ah, oh, that's it. <laughs> I heal you in the name of the. <laughs> Was the other thing a gal- galvanic sun. skin response? <laughs> a congregation pastor in South Africa has a rather unusual way of healing and blessing his attendees. Over the years, there have been faith healers who claim to cure injuries and illnesses with a simple twist of the hand. But until now, we know heard of one of those. His primary tool is flatulence. According to the reports, ca- Pastor, Pastor Christ Penelope of Sevenfold Holy Holy Spirit Ministries in Sayandai Village, Guiani, possesses the rather unusual ability to heal people by farting on them. Yeah. Uh, I'm not calling bullshit on it, but I am calling some sort of shit on it. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, clown. Uh, you were asking yeah. about galvanic skin response? Yeah. And I thought that was in the measuring the... um. The horror story reading, but as it's far as my old CIA training, you you would you you would take it try to take a volume and tense your anus muscle. So maybe maybe a fart could help you survive a, an intense polygrapher's interrogation. You know, <laughs> just freaking fart. This machine's broken. I'm not a commie. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> uh... <laughs> like. You owe the or government the money. To these intentionally uh, sweat a lot, so when they ask you questions like your name and what day it is, you just go, uh, 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 um, Saturday. Oh, uh, apparently, <laughs> is Ian st- is Ian still here? Do you know if the, all the cargo was recovered over time, Ian, from the Titanic? Um, I don't think it was. No, I only what they got. Only what they got uh, in the modern times. Have you seen the film Raise the Titanic? Uh, no, I'm aware it exists, but I never, I never watched. Uh, it. They got, they brought the ship up whole. So they, what they did, they brought, they put um, balloons inside the ship, and the air, and then filled them in it with air, and then it rose to the surface, and it was basically complete. Only one funnel was broken, and the rest was all intact. So <laughs> uh, that was before, that was before they actually discovered the ship was uh, all broken up in so. two bits. Yeah. What was the name of that? Um... A ship that Henry VIII lost uh, was it the Mary Rose, Mary, Mary Celeste? Rose. Yeah, that, that's how they raised that one. Flotation devices. That was, so when that they did it on Blue Peter, didn't they? Do you remember Blue Peter, Ian? When they raised the yeah, because they were they were all over that, weren't they? Blue Peter were. Yeah, but Joey Deacon overrode that story. That got more attention. <laughs> Joey oh. Deacon, yeah, that, that backfired a bit, didn't it? Yeah, that was great. So, <laughs> but yeah, uh, rural rural farms and towns in New South Wales have been dealing with the worst plague of mice in decades. 
If you happen to be one of the millions of people around the world who suffers from an irrational fear of mice, it might be best giving a visit to Australia and miss for the time being it being. What do you mean an irrational fear? A fear of mice is rational. I think if I saw a fucking carpet of mice running about, I'm not keen on mice, but even then, like a carpet of mice, I wouldn't really want to be in its way, would you? No. Have you ever seen any of those, like, mice swarms? You just get, like, a carpet of mice covering the ground. Well, it's Indiana, like a, a plague of locusts yeah. as well. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, one locust on its own might be unpleasant, but a whole bunch of them is just awful. Oh, Ugh. Jesus. Uh, in addition to devastating food stocks and fouling storerooms, the reddits also represent a danger to humans, especially young children, due to their tendency to bite. Several people have already been hospitalised, while shops and supermarkets have been forced to store all their food in sealed containers to stop the animals getting access to them. You can imagine that every time you open a cupboard, every time you go to your pantry, there are mice present, said rodent expert Steve Henry. They're eating in your food containers, they're fouling your clean linen in your linen cupboard, they're running across your bed at night. As things stand, there's nothing that can be done but wait in the hope that the cold weather, alternatively a torrential downpour, will put a stop to the infestation once and for all. God, that's horrific, isn't it? Yeesh. Yeah. Nasty. Scientists turn mice into zombie killers. Did you want this one from 2017? Do you want this one? Mind-controlled rodents could be commanded to hunt down and kill a target using simple light flashes. The experiment, which was designed to unravel the inner workings of the animal's predatory instinct, involved manipulating certain areas of the brain to make it possible for scientists to enable and disable their, their, their drive to hunt and kill prey on demand. This was achieved by injecting a specific region of the brain with an infectious virus containing a light-sensitive gene which made it possible to control groups of neurons by firing laser light through an optical fibre tubing insert, inserted into the animal's heads. The procedure made it possible to turn the mice, in, mice into lethal hunters at the flick of a switch. We turn the laser on and they jump on an ob- object, yeah. hold it with their I've paws. I've heard like, similar, similar things with televisions where Alex Jones was saying, oh, you know, I've been to the universities and they showed me the University of uh, Dallas and they had all these monkeys just wired up watching TV and they're trying to find the perfect flicker rate to try and get them into a trance-like state. Yeah, And it's it's interesting because they're talking about flicker rates and you're saying how the new televisions, the high-definition ones with their... Uh, extra high refresh rates. They're even more hypnotic. And uh, my mum's got one of those teddies. It interpolates from one scene to another. It uses a. It's got a computer. And it makes uh, animation, not animation, but it, it makes the scene to scene transition more fluid than reality. Yeah. Very hypnotic to look at it. So this idea that you can use flashing lights to mesmerise people or mind control rats, yeah. I've, I mean, there was. I even saw like a thing like remote controlling cockroaches. That was being done in the nineties. Uh, Nick Nick Pope debunks <laughs> flying saucer photograph. Uh, that's that's who Zero used to call Nick Pope the government dope. Do you remember that? He said he actually wanted to fight him in yeah. a car park or something. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, 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 have you I, got, I have do, you got to yeah. that one yet, Nordic? The one where Zero said he wants to fight Nick Pope. Oh, not, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, Zero said it. Zero calls him yeah. Nick Pope with yeah, the government he's, dope, but he said he'd actually fight he's not the car. Yeah. Um, uh, what else? I think that's. 
think we're about caught up with everything. Has anyone else got anything they want to talk about? No, I don't think so. I'm done. Oh yeah, the uh, did you yeah. see this one? We spoke about this one last week, Ian. Uh, the one about the exorcist that claims movies contain actual demons. An exorcist. Mm, yeah, let's a, have a look at that one. An exorcist. We we did this one last week, but I don't mind going over it again because we did uh, curse movies recently. With you, an exorcist from the Philippines maintains that popular horror movies are a source of actual real life demons. So he's for saying the exorcist had a demon in it. Um, Three men and a baby. Uh, so he's said the nun, um, the nun, uh, Cullen from the from Twilight, um, the Sylvia Ganush from the mute from the movie Drag Me to Hell, and Diana Walter from the movie Lights Out. I don't know that one. And then Annabelle from the movie the Annabelle. Nun. He said they're all actual demons. Black nun from Armchair Thriller. Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, one movie we forgot about. Uh, it's not really a cursed movie, but uh, the entity's based on a real story, isn't it? Yeah, they have, have they made remade that one. It was good. It was a, there was one in the seventies. I don't know if there's a, a new one, a remake of that, but it's uh, it is a good film. It's based on a true story. Yeah, the woman actually went missing, didn't she? You know, but the ghost had sex with her. Yeah, I was thinking maybe we should do a mo- we should do a movie night where we talk about movies. <laughs> oh, I watched a movie recently. It's not Universal Soldier. It's just called Soldier Stone Kurt Russell, and uh, I enjoyed it. I felt it was very good for what it was. Oh, so it's based on a woman called uh, Doris Blither. Uh, mother of four children met Barry Taff and Kerry Gaynor after a female friend of hers. Blah blah blah. Uh, oh, this interview revealed Blither had a history of physical and substance abuse, along with traumatic childhood. Investigators also noted there was noticed there was a poor relationship, relationship between Doris and her four sons. Their home was likewise in severe disrepair, having been condemned twice. Blither alleged she was attacked and raped by an invisible entity. Later, she reported the spirits of three men assaulted her. Taff allegedly photographed a variety of luminous anomalies while investigating Blither. Taff claimed to have photographed orbs and said the frequency and intensity of attacks decreased with time. Blither died in 1999 of pulmonary arrest. Pulmonary, that's lung, isn't it, Hobbit? Yes, it is. So she was hallucinating then. Uh, I think she might. Be. And her lungs just stopped. I think, I think by the sounds of it, there was some other stuff going on with our, with our Doris, weren't there? Who can you put it in if you're a ghost anyway? It won't go in, will it? <laughs> I heard that there's a pub somewhere in, in England, and if you stay the night in one of the rooms... The ghost of a really buxom barmaid will come and, and give you a scene too, and I just I can't even remember the name of this uh, this pub. Uh, I found I found another thing on it. Um, 
Oh. In 2009, Ghost Theory conducted an interview with Doris's middle son, Brian Harris, <coughs> who stated that we all experienced some form of attack. There was the pushing, biting and scratching being done to us. There are about four entities in the home and they made themselves known by appearing all the time. I think it took a lot of energy for them to do that. He described the entities as follows. It was always like a fog, like human, but not quite. During, in, during one incident, Brian, who was in his early teens at the time, attempted to intervene in his mother's attack and was thrown across the room. Reading the full interview is guaranteed to spend some chills down your spine. Uh... Doris described the attacks by saying there were in fact three entities, two smaller ones that hold her down while a third third larger entity raped her. These attacks left marks on Doris's body indicative of rape, including bru bruises on her inner thighs and throat. The combined test... Well, we managed to uh, one hour and 54 minutes before the first mention of rape. <laughs> 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 can't even get away with it on this show uh, the combined testimony, nope. testimony of the family convinced Dr Taft to establish a base for the monitoring of the paranormal phenomenon in the house he bought specialised lighting cameras and audio recording equipment as well as a team of colleagues from UCLA on their first formal investigation of the entity plaguing Doris Blither Dr Taft requested that she attempt an appearance by provoking the beings, which she did. The results were astounding. Lights appeared to shoot through the room, arcing in midair. Many were caught on film, and all of this was witnessed by the 20-something researchers present. Oh, blimey. So she's not going to get pregnant from these ghostly encounters, is she? Well, it's a bit weird. In 1995, the entity's real-life victim, Doris... Doris Bither, no, it's Bither, not Blither. Bither, aka, aka Doris Donner and Doris McGowan, passed away at the age of 58 of cardiopulmonary failure. While it was stated her death was the result of multiple organ failure, the precise cause of Doris Bither's untimely death was never medically determined. Still, I can't. I still can't see how, how how you can get it in if you're a ghost, though. <laughs> well, hmm. ghost ghost fire. Ghost go go straight through. Go straight through, wouldn't it? It would even. Ghost Viagra must be. Hmm. Unless her no, I don't even want to be that crude. Some yeah. sort of like um, ephemeral compatibility, not ephemeral, ethereal compatibility. Maybe she's had a son of Maybe she's had that many abortions that um haunted. Oh no. What do you think to uh H. H. Holmes being Jack the Ripper then, uh, Ian? Have you had a look into that one? Yeah, there's a there's a few theories, isn't it? It's supposed to be um royalty as well. But uh it's too late now. they don't I don't think they'll solve it now. I think Peter Sutcliffe is the Yorkshire Ripper. Yeah. Can confidently say the police, that. The police didn't believe it, though, did they? Uh, they, were, they had too much paperwork. He's, he's dead now, isn't he? Yeah. He oh, this day. might be a good story. The, the SS Orang Medan. That's that weird ship, that weird ghost ship, isn't it, where everybody killed, killed each other, didn't they? What does it say? Uh, I'll have a look at the orang me then. It, it's orang as in like orangutan. Uh, 
Let's have a look at this. The Orang Medan was was supposedly a ghost, a ghost ship. Well, so it was. Where is it? Um, find some of the. So Titanic backwards. Oh, so go on. Go on then, Ian. Titanic what? Titanic backwards in the chat. Titanic backwards spells Sinatit. So there we go. Ah, cool. Yeah. Coincidence. It must I think be haunted. Uh, so, a radio operator aboard the Tribble vessel sent the following message in Morse code: "SOS from Orang Medan. We, we, star, star, star. We float. All officers, including the captain, dead in the chat, the chart room, and on the bridge. Probably whole of crew dead. A few confused dots and dashes of Morse code later, two words came through clearly. Clearly, they were: I die." Then after that chilly message, there was nothing more heard of. When the Silver Star crew eventually located and boarded the apparently undamaged Orang Medan in an attempt at rescue, the ship was found littered with cor corpses, including the carcass of a dog, everywhere. And the dead bodies found sprawled on their backs. The frozen and allegedly badly frightened faces of the deceased upturned to the sun above, with mouths gaping open and eyes staring straight ahead, with the corpse resembling horrible caricatures. No survivors were located and no visible signs of injuries on the dead bodies were observed. Just as the ship was prepared to be prepared for a tow by the Silver Star to a nearby fort, a fire then suddenly broke out in the ship's number four cargo hold, forcing the boarding party had to hastily evacuate the doomed Dutch freighter, thus preventing any further investigations to be carried out. Soon after, the Orang Medan was witness exploding before finally sinking. So basically, must have seen a vision. Yeah, so, it must have been a vision in the sky. Uh, so apparently what, it, apparently what it was, they were carrying, they could have been um, illegally carrying chemicals that weren't um, properly stowed away or something. Either that or undetected smouldering fire or malfunction in the ship's boiler system might have been responsible. Escaping carbon monoxide would have caused the deaths of all on board with the fire slowly spreading out of control, leading to the vessel's ultimate destruction. I'm explaining it. So, and then, so, apparently nobody's found out there, there actually was a ship called that. And that's the other bit. It's all made up. So, what else is in here? Uh, oh, we got we're, we're at nine o'clock anyway. So, are we done for this week? Same spook time, same spook channel. Stay Ooh. spooky. Oh, I did, I, did actually, I did actually have something to play out. Oh, no, hold on one second. Give me a my second. heart will. Go on. Uh -huh. I've got the um hold on a sec, where is it? I hate that song. Oh, <laughs> 